All right, I'm now going to bring you today's Bible reading, uh, which will be up on the screen, but it's from Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, through to Exodus 14, verse 17. So if you've got your phones like me, follow along, or if you do bring your Bible, please follow along. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go 
unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman will ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you to speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. Feel free to get the uh, the talk outline on the hub if you haven't done that yet and you want to follow along. Uh, there you go. You'll see it on the screen. Wave your phone up there. Grab the talk outline if you want to follow along. Always good to do. Today, after after um, after we've had prayer, um, we'll, we'll have a Q and A after today's talk as well. So if you have any burning questions from the burning bush. Uh, or even anything in Esther, if you've been watching at home since we've gone into lockdown and you want to throw something at me, um, we'll see if we can answer that uh, today. So Q&A after our talk today uh, as well, so make use of that if you have any questions.
I must admit, though, that um, this is a really uh, overwhelming... I can control Alex. I've got the clicker. All good. It's an overwhelming passage of the Bible to talk through um, because it's here in Exodus 3 and 4 that we reach the high point, the pinnacle of God's self-revelation in the entire Old Testament. I can't undersell how significant this moment is because it's here that God tells us exactly how we should think about him. And it's confronting to be confronted with God. I hope you see that. I hope you feel that today. It's confronting to be confronted with God. Moreover, today's passage raises the very pointy question about the gospel call that God places on our lives and how it's often a little hard to hear, a little hard to handle, and not always straightforward. You see, Moses found out firsthand that the phrase we often hear, that God never gives us anything we can't handle, is actually far from the biblical truth of the matter. Hardships often exceed our ability to handle them. God himself does overwhelm us at times, and especially when God is in the business of changing our business, of moving our life around, of leading us to a new chapter. And perhaps some of you today are feeling a little bit like that. Your new study arrangements, there's new work or no work. There's a new baby at home. There's a health crisis going on. There's another challenge that you're facing in your family and your home. As a society, we're facing the change and transition coming out of COVID-19, aren't we? So a lot of us can relate to how Moses feels. But the answer that we're going to see today is the same that Moses needs, that God gives him, and it's the same that we need today as well when we face hard things, when we feel overwhelmed by God. We're going to look at it in three sections. First, we'll see an eye-opening confrontation, an overwhelming conversation, and then an obedient response, and then make two quick application points. What does it mean today to hear God's call upon our lives and follow him? So that's where we're going. Talk outline if you want to follow along in detail. Remember, Moses in Exodus, he's far from ordinary. His whole life has been this ridiculously um, dramatic series of events. But right here in chapter 3, we're supposed to see ordinary dripping all over it. We learn it's just another day for Moses, the shepherd, takes the sheep out to pasture, He's been doing this for 40 years. He knows how to do it. And he goes to Mount Horeb. And look what happens next. Ordinary day, and an angel sets a bush on fire. Moses heads over to take a look because it startles him. It doesn't burn up. And he hears this voice, booming voice, echoing around him in verses 4 to 6, where, where God says, Moses, don't come any closer. Take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses can't even cope. It's a frightful experience, so he covers his face in fear. He's overwhelmed. And this right here is a category defining, category-blowing moment, we learn God is transcendent, yet he's imminent. We learn God is holy, yet relatable. We learn God is distinct, yet he desires to be known. Just think about what that means for a moment. Today, one of the most popular forms of belief is materialism. Materialism says, there is no God, the universe, what we have and see now is the only thing. That's all there is. You can see it illustrated up there. But what we find at the burning bush is not 
materialism, we see that God does exist, but we don't see deism either. This view is very popular today if you like the idea of spirituality, yet you don't like anything too absolute or too definite, or for God to certainly come in and mess your life up and start to define things for you in right and wrong terms. Deism says there is a God, but he's too distant and removed from the universe that there's really nothing to relate to this God you know, at all, and so deism. But we don't see that either. What we find is for the first time in the Bible, we encounter this idea of holy space. Holy space. A place that God inhabits that we can't enter into. Genesis had holy time, the Sabbath. Now holy space is presented to us. And the tension of God wanting to dwell with his people, but his people not being able to fully enter into God's presence as they are. You see, the closer that you get to God's holiness, the more dangerous and intense God becomes. Not because God is bad or morally corrupt or evil or anything. Simply that we feel our finiteness, our createdness. We realize how good and glorious God is. The creative power of the universe is there right in front of us. It's unlike anything else. And here, this holy transcendent God willingly limits himself to inhabit a period of time and space to talk to Moses. You see, God is not only powerful and holy, but he wants to relate to his people as well. And look at how God does that from the bush. In verse 4, he sees Moses. Then in verse 6, he speaks to Moses that he is the God of his ancestors. You see, this holy transcendent God has bound himself to a relationship with his people through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He is aware, he goes on to say, of all that has happened to them. Not only that, but Jesus refers to this same passage many years later in Mark 12 to prove that God is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. God doesn't say, I was the God, but I am the God. He is eternal. And why does Moses need to know all of that? You have this massive self-revelation of God. Moses is there as a shepherd, very ordinary day. What's the point of that? Well, this eternal living God has seen and heard the cry of his people. He's concerned about their suffering. He has come down to do something to rescue them. And with that, God says, I'm going to go to Egypt and rescue them. I just thought I'd give you a heads up before I act. But he doesn't do that, actually. God does the unexpected in verse 10. Moses is there, he's hearing this. And in verse 10, he blows Moses' mind. Moses, I'm sending you to do the rescuing. Now, Moses' fear, I'm sure, would turn to shock at this point. His eyes bounce around, and perhaps he's talking to the other Moses that's standing behind him, but turns out no one else is there. It's very, very overwhelming. And it begs the question, why would this holy, transcendent, eternal God use Moses? Why use any of us, for that matter? Well, the answer given here, I think, is that God is a relational God. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses. He's involved with his people's lives, and he uses his people to show others his glory and salvation and goodness. And he does that because he wants to relate to them. Which begs the question, when God looks at Moses, what does he see then? What attributes of Moses will Moses contribute to God's rescue plan? How amazing is Moses that God is going to use him to bring the people out of Egypt? But realize that Moses isn't that wonderful, actually. Sure, he's had a very significant life, but 
He tried to rescue them before, back in chapter 2, and that didn't go too well either. He ended up running away, killing someone, and, and now hiding in Midian for 40 years. Today, he wouldn't make the second round of job interviews if that was his resume. So what does God see? Does God look and pick the best, brightest, most decorated human possible? Well, actually, God doesn't look at the outside the same way we do. He's interested not in looks or performance or ability. Of course, God sees Moses as a shepherd. He knows that. He knows he's a runaway. He knows he's a failed redeemer. But when God calls him, he's not looking at Moses right now. He's looking at who Moses will be with an injection of his grace into his life. God is looking at Moses from start to finish, not defining him by his past, not defining him by that particular moment either. When God looks at Moses, he sees how his grace will radically change Moses' life. It's just that Moses doesn't quite get that yet. So enter one of the most overwhelming conversations that history has recorded for us. And poor Moses, you have to feel for him. He really has the same struggle that we have today here. I mean, if someone came up here and said, I'm going to be a CMS missionary now. Someone else come up and said, I'm going to give up my job and go to Bible college. Or someone else said, I'm going to take a pay cut in order to serve the gospel, to serve Jesus in this particular way. At this, We would say yes and celebrate it and pray for them and cheer them on. It's just a little bit pointy when you're the one that says yes to God calling you in that part of your life, doesn't it? Then we kind of say, hold on a minute. <laughs> let's, just, uh, let's just rethink that. Let's reassess. It doesn't sound as easy, does it? So Moses looks for a loophole. And the first question is filled with self-doubt. As he says to God, who am I in verse 11? And notice especially the answer that God gives here to the self-doubting Moses. It's in verse 12. And it's nothing like the coach halfway through the football game when the team is down to give them a shot of self-inspiration. Or as every sporting film, you know, halftime they're losing. You know the coach will say four magnificent words and they'll win. It's nothing like that at all. God doesn't say, you can do it, Moses. Dig deep. Look inside yourself. I've never given anyone anything they can't handle, so go for it. You'll be fine. Notice that God doesn't even recall his past either. He doesn't say, you grew up in Egyptian courts. You know the system. You're the perfect fit. Or, you've seen the suffering. You've kept the flock safe. You've proven yourself faithful. Now you can do it. He doesn't say that. Lots of people will say that about this passage. But God doesn't say that about Moses, actually. Because you see, Moses is right. Moses can't do it. But it's beside the point. And for Moses and for you and for me, sometimes we don't so much need encouragement as we need a reality check. This is what God does. Look in verse 12. I will be with you. You see, God is not only the sending Moses, but he's going as well. Behind Moses stands the holiness of God. God will go with him in his presence and his power and his glory. I will be with you makes all the difference. It's a good start. Next question Moses has, he looks in the flames of the bush and he says, well, who are you? I mean, what if they ask me, who is the God that has sent me now? Verse 13. Interesting question. We learn later in chapter 6, verse 3, that 
God's people, the Hebrew nation, knew who God was, they knew His name, they knew Him as Lord already. But they don't yet know the story that that name will tell. They don't know the God behind the name, you see. After all, it feels like God has forgotten them for 400 years, remember? Who is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? If not the one to forget us, would be the cry. So you see, to ask about God's name is to seek information about him. To seek God's name is to ask, what kind of God are you that is calling me? And the conversation takes the weirdest turn ever in the history of conversations. God just says, I am who I am. It's like he didn't even answer the question. But he does, you see. If you look at the, the, the word that God uses, it's a form of the verb to be, a verb of existence. You could translate it. Some of your Bibles may say, I will be who I will be, or I will be what I will be, or I am who I am. It's all the same idea. Behind that, you see, we see that God's existence and character are determined not by anyone else or anything else, but by himself. God determines who he is. It's a little complex, and Moses, I'm sure, felt that. So here's a way to think about it, and I heard this from another pastor called Jonathan Parnell, and he says this, let's say I ask you all here, what is a box? What is a box? Well, you would say a box is a square. Okay, what's a square? Well, you say it's a shape. Okay, what's a shape? Well, a shape is how we classify things in space. Okay, what's space? Well, let's talk about space. You see, to define something, you break it down into its smaller parts until everything you grasp it eventually. But what God is saying here is it doesn't work with me because God is who he is. God is telling us that he exists outside of any category that you can fit him into. But you see, God does actually help Moses grasp him. God is all about revelation. No one wants you to know God's will and who he is more than God himself, you see. So in 3.15, we learn that God is Lord. The name by which this I am God wants to be called is Lord. Yahweh is the Hebrew word here. I am has said, just call me Lord. Now, all of that establishes that God has no equal, no rival. That is my name forever. That is the name you shall call me from generation to generation, verse 15. God is as much as live now when he talks to Moses as when Abraham was. And he's as much invested in the relationship with his people as he's ever been, you see, when he talks to Moses. As he goes on to say in verse 16 to 22, this Lord is for his people, guaranteeing their future with him, and that by his strong hand, Moses, you're going to prevail. You're going to bring them into a land with milk and honey, a land unlike the oppression of Egypt. That's what milk and honey meant. You see, the purpose of the Exodus event is not rescue for the sake of it. God's not interested in some humanitarian project that he has to fix with his people because epic slavery is happening here. As the end of verse 3.12 says, the goal of the Exodus is worship. God's people are always saved to something very concrete. Freedom from something is useless unless there's a freedom to, something our society would do well to think about for a bit. Because God's going to redeem them to himself, set them free to live under his loving rule and care, to realize it's a joy and a full expression of being a human to worship God. Now, that sounds really good to Moses. But what if they don't listen to him? He's grasped that bit. What if they don't believe he's actually been sent by this Lord God? Remember, he tried and failed. So God gives him three miraculous signs to prove, to show that he has indeed been sent from their God. 
The staff will become a snake in 4.3. The hand will be leprous in your cloak in verse 6. Water will turn to blood in 4 verse 9. And notice how just ordinary that stuff is too. How unassuming it is. Like the staff, he's a shepherd, of course he has one. It'll become a snake. God has authority over the human condition. Put your hand in your cloak and it comes out leprous. Put it back in and it's all clean again. Death, disease, viruses, plagues, they're horrible, destructive things, but God is Lord over them, you see. And then the last sign, water into blood. Well, it shows that God has the power over life and death. He can turn water into blood. But you know, it's actually not really about the signs. Yes, they're necessary, they're important, they authenticate Moses as the messenger. But God isn't, sorry, but Moses isn't the miracle worker. He's a messenger, which is why he gives one final objection in 4 verse 10. Pardon your servant, I've never been eloquent, either in the past, ever actually, I'm slow of speech and tongue. Then in verse 4.13, please send someone else. And if you're a parent with young kids, you might remember the Go Noodle song, I can't, is exactly what Moses is saying. I just can't. See, Moses has picked up what he needs to do. has nothing to do with his physical capabilities or his abilities. It's all about conveying God's word to Pharaoh and God's people. The way that God will redeem them isn't through Moses' strong arms, but God's. And it's not through Moses' eloquence, but God's authoritative command. And Moses feels that even more. And that's what being in the presence of a holy God does, doesn't it? You feel your limitation, you feel your inability. But not only is God, but not only is God in control of the staff and his hand in the cloak and, and life and death in the water, but actually he's in control of all the parts of all people. Look at verse 11. Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Actually, it's me. Here's the thing. Perhaps, as Moses discovered, your limitations and your weaknesses are actually the key to your usefulness in the service to God. Maybe the things that you think are limitations are actually the very thing God is going to use to show his glory and goodness and salvation to those around you. That's what God, as Moses is learning. Moses says in verse 10, I can't, but God says in verse 11, I can. Do you see? The great I am is with Moses and his mouth as he made it. I will help you speak, he says in 4 verse 12. But the problem isn't intellectual. <laughs> Do you get it? It's not that simple. The human heart is tricky. God's answered every question. That's not the problem. It's circumstantial. Moses looks at it, and no matter, he's got all the equipment. He's, the mountain is there. He's got everything possibly going for him that you could ever have wanting to go for you. The burning bush, I'm with you. It's okay. Yet he still feels the mountain is too big to climb. And so there's no reasonable way for God to argue this anymore. After all that, Moses says, I just can't. So in verse 14, God gets a bit angry. You see, he's not going to change his calling on Moses just because Moses does not want to do it. Moses is overwhelmed. But God hears him. He hears the cry of Moses, the pain, and he says, actually, Moses, I'll bring your brother Aaron along too for the ride. He can help you. He won't ever have a burning wish moment, and you'll tell him what to say because you're the one I'm actually sending. But I, I hear what you're saying. When a master summons his servant, it is not optional. But he does give help. And that seems to have settled Moses right down in the last part of chapter 4, which we didn't read out, uh, obedience is the overarching theme. And in some of the most bizarre ever parts of the whole Bible, uh, we see obedience running through that. 
Moses goes, takes his family. Zipporah appeases God's anger uh, when she circumcises her son. The covenant is uh, ratified. It means that Moses is actually all in for God and his glory, his kingdom, his plan, not his own. He's not with Egypt anymore. He's not on his own terms. He's following God. And the covenant of God requires sacrifices, blood, commitment. Aaron hears God's voice, goes and meets Moses in the wilderness. They relay everything faithfully to God's people. And what's the very last thing in verse 4, chapter 4, sorry, they all bow down in worship because God's people realized after 400 years, oh, God gets me. God knows. God's come to rescue and redeem. And so there we have it. A holy God who knows all about his people, who appears to Moses in this ordinary rhythm of life, who gets the wind knocked out of him by news of it all, But we see God is gracious and reminds him that he is Lord. All his holiness and strength is with him, behind him, for him. He will bring them safely to the mountain to worship him. Moses, your task is to herald the news that I'm going to do that. Proclaim my message of rescue in all the strength that God will supply. And all Moses needed, the thing that will sustain him and sustain us, is this big, full, glorious picture of God to hold on to. That's the key. But we also see that Yahweh, the Holy One, he places demands on Moses. He's gracious, but he's holy. Moses has to respond in obedience. He takes off his shoes at the bush. Don't go any closer. Don't run away, even if Aaron's going to help you. There's a separation between creature and creator that has to be maintained. Moses must follow and obey God on God's terms, not his own. And so now as different as that whole episode is for us today, you know, God still does call people to be servants of him, to be vessels of grace, to proclaim his redemption and salvation today. And so as we close, I want to make two brief reflections on what does it mean to be called by God today? The first uh, and most important call that each of us can hear is, of course, the call to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Our experience is not a bush on fire, but the blazing cross of Jesus Christ, where the glory of God was on display in all his holiness, where God says to you, let my people go free from Satan, sin, and death. And believing that and being brought to faith in Jesus, it often happens in those ordinary moments of your day, just like Moses found. It's the friend who invites you to church, like it happened to me. It's the friend who talks to you at ES, at uni, or it's reading the Bible you've been given, or it's seeing a Facebook post that provokes you to ask a question. It's having a friend say, what's the biggest challenge we face today, like we talked about earlier? And listening and responding and saying, Jesus gives us hope. Sitting on the bus, going to the zoo, and then walking off the bus and realizing Jesus is Lord, as I happened to see us, Lewis. It's finding out the person who stopped to help you on the side of the road was a Christian. It's saying yes to reading the Bible one-on-one with someone. It's growing up believing in God and growing stronger every single day in your faith and love for him, like many of you from a Christian home have, like Natasha has. You see, God wonderfully meets us as we kick around the ordinary of life because there's no such thing as ordinary with God. Jesus calls each of us to faith and repentance in him. And maybe today, for some of you, for the first time, you can feel and see that you too need to bow in repentance to this holy King Jesus. Thank him for, turning, for forgiving your sin and turn to him and believe. Would you do that today? Would you trust that gospel to hear that call of Jesus upon your life? But you know, I, I know that many of you 
can recall and have a deep faith and love for Jesus. So the question then comes, what about God's call? How do we respond to God? What does it mean to live faithfully in the ever-changing world with an unchanging God? Well, you know, in Matthew 28, Jesus, the risen Son of God, appeared in all glory and holiness, like the burning bush, on top of a mountain, like Moses did. And he spoke to his disciples about the greater exodus that he had just accomplished, actually. And like Moses, those men were full of fear and doubt too. And here's what Jesus said to them, Matthew 28, right at the end. He says, go and make disciples of all the nations, and surely this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Just like God commissioned Moses at the one particular time in redemptive history, so too, you and me stand in the same vein as the disciples on this side of the cross and resurrection with the same calling to make disciples and be a disciple. So at one level, I can say the proclamation of the gospel, that is your call. When you're a Christian, that is what your job is. Whether that's going to Bible college or being a stay-at-home mom or working as a teacher or a nurse, the call to be a Someone who proclaims Jesus never, ever changes. The call to be a disciple never, ever changes whatever field or sphere of life you are in. And some of you are being called to something right now. You feel it. It is time that God is moving in your life, perhaps in the ordinary things of your day like he did to Moses. So what do we say about that? Well, I think it's quite easy, actually, because God has already revealed in his word his will for you the desire to be a disciple, to be someone holy who follows him. And so if that's you, that's wrestling with what do I do in life, may I encourage you to spend time in God's already revealed word and work on that. Be someone who proclaims Jesus wherever you are and the rest of it will take care of itself actually. Because when we feel our limitations and uneasiness, the answer is always Exodus 3.12. I will be with you. Let's pray. Our great holy God, we thank you that you revealed yourself to us, that you call us into your presence through salvation in Jesus Christ. We thank you that upon each of our lives you call us to be witnesses and proclaimers of your wonderful grace and love and salvation to others. Help us do that. Father, individually, in our workplaces, in our homes, we want to honor you and speak the life-saving truth of Jesus. Help us to follow your revealed word already in, your, in, in Scripture that tells us who you are, what your grace is doing in our life, how to behave, how to live as your people. Help us follow you, Lord. And for those of us who are struggling with something new, Father, may you make it absolutely clear which direction we should go, what will give you the most glory and honor, in your name we pray. Amen.